lion lemon lemon lion lion lemon lemon mommy made me mash by Emma. okay okay let's three <laughs> two one <laughs> Hi, I'm your gay uncle that your parents don't talk about, Matt. Hi, I'm Kibby or Kim, depending on how drunk you are. Oh, yes, yes. And today we have a very, very special guest. She is your local whore, a harlot. She slept with your boyfriend and forgot his name. It's Faye Race. I'm flashing my titties. Why don't I clap so much? Hello. Hello. You already know me. Your dad already knows me. Your boyfriend already knows me. And if about to know me. And listeners, she's a Scorpio. (laughs) Was it mentioned that Matt and I are both fire signs? Oh yeah. Well, I'm Aries Sun, Aries Moon, and Scorpio Rising. So I'm just a bucket (laughs) of fun. (laughs) Incredible. And Kivi is a Leo. Leo's sun, uh, Libra moon, Cancer rising. So, so I'm the straight sense. man. Yes. Um, <laughs> so this week we are going to talk about Midsummer. Uh, last week we did not talk about any movies, but we are <laughs> we're not making that our entire image. Um, no, you shit talk me the entire episode. And I'll do it again. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but yes, Faye is actually our friend, even though uh, we should talk her. Um, she's a very, very good friend of ours. We all met in college, and we couldn't think of a better first guest. Um, and we'll be talking. We'll be talking about Midsummer uh, from 2019 from Ari Aster, uh, from queer prominent director Ari Aster. <laughs> um, but we thought this week we don't really have that many um, hot takes on current horror. Uh, because Halloween's over but we thought we would I mean when we're recording this it's like the week after Halloween so we thought we would toot and boot a couple Halloween costumes from celebrities and you know just like get into it sound good guys mm-hmm. all right so yeah we're gonna start with a, a softball uh, Mr. Lil Nas X you can see over on the side here right oh god yes he had a couple. I don't know what this middle one is. The first one, he's serving Voldemort. He was Voldemort, which it I think very good. Yes, I think that was Halloween Day. Men's declassified. He's the I forget what that name is, but the blonde jock, which I loved. I loved. Yeah, yeah. I no, really I, that. I don't think this middle one was. Yeah, this middle one was is just like a photo of him for the magazine. But yes, this is a toot for me. What what say ye? A toot. Toot or boot. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. You don't keep up with gay culture because you hate faggots. Um, um, <laughs> that's our F word for the pod, y'all. Um, <laughs> so, like, uh, I don't know if it really comes from that, but, like, uh, there's this, like, review, quote, unquote, of, like, RuPaul's Drag Race looks. That's fashion photo review, and they toot or boot the look. So toot is yay. We like it. Boot is bad. Oh, thank you very much. So uh, I toot. Oh, I, oh, I toot. Yeah. I absolutely do. Toot, toot. I will say that Nicki Minaj really did turn my pussy out, though, last year. This was not the same level. but Yeah, I, I think that 
like these two costumes are deserving of a wow good job yes i i don't remember who did it but it was a drag race girl that did this i believe who did the the, um, Nicki minaj costume so like that's why but like this shit turned my pussy out and these these from this year weren't exactly the same but they were good yeah no when when i saw the Nicki minaj photo um like you know i'm I'm still hung over from this photo genuinely i'm still shook from it so and the the this year's halloween costumes from um lil nas x like was good but just not the same level right any thoughts gibby i feel like i haven't had a thought in like at least six months Mm. um so here's the thing uh boot 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 it's okay so we're looking at harry styles which this isn't really i guess his halloween costume but it was like his concert around halloween Mm -hmm. right if i remember correctly and he is in this gutted dorothy costume i don't live i wasn't a fan of it either disappointing um yeah, let me see if I can find it. Looks, it looks messy. You it know? is messy. And I so I mean this photo also just like sends me straight to hell. But like okay. <laughs> so like I know what he's going for. Like I understand it's like the straight man's answer to Elton John. And like he is doing that. It's just I don't I don't live for like the I mean he's been asked about sexuality and he kind of evades the question, but like right. a, one assumes straight until proven queer um and like i just i don't live for this whole like blush not shaving not a drop of makeup ugly dress weird leggings not it for me it's a boot for me yeah i'm not even sure what he was going for like like it doesn't it just okay i okay no i know what he was going for I just feel like it was, it feels so last minute. That's why I don't appreciate it. Um, I don't think it was last minute. I think this is what he wanted. And I salute him for being comfortable in his sexuality and gender for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hate it. And also, this doesn't really go for him, but like, I'm also, PSA, if you're a gay who's going out like as a girl for Halloween, a girl is not a costume. You need to pick a character one. To put on a fucking lash. I'm tired of seeing these men go out here and put on a shitty wig, a skirt, and say it's a costume. It's mm-hmm. not. I know. So yeah, uh, we boot. I boot, Faye boots. What say you, Kimmy? Absolutely boot. Thank God. Um, okay, we're gonna do like one or two more. Um oh Doja Cat. Doja Cat's a good one. Oh yeah, I I almost didn't recognize her. Middle here, yeah, she is the um, the secretary, I believe, from Powerpuff Girls. Yeah, no, it it's everything that we needed to be. Yes, it looks great. I mean, the wig is good. Um, Plus, like this is taken. I think the other part that I like, like, I do think if you're famous, you should put money into a Halloween costume because you can. I'm not interested in the half-ass bullshit. But also I like that this is, all the photos of her in this costume were from her going to a party. It's not her posing for Instagram. It's her going to a physical Halloween party, which I like. Yeah. Yeah, no, she looks awesome in all of them. Mm-hmm. I too. Oh, I too. Awesome. The last one I'm going to do is um, on the left. Wait, hold on. Let me, Okay. 
So this isn't technically Halloween, but this mm-hmm. is for the Halloween Kills oh, red carpet. Um, I think all of the cast, or at least most of the main cast, like dressed up in costumes. But Jamie Lee Curtis came as Janet Lee in mm-hmm. Psycho, which is her mom. I thought mm-hmm. it was really awesome. I think she looks great. She looks good in blonde. Mm-hmm. I mean, the wig, it, I mean, is it a hard front? Yeah, but like, it's a good hard front. Um, mm-hmm. Beautiful Tiffany blue dress. I'm into it. And she brought like a cloth with blood on it. I don't know why. <laughs> it just feels complete. Right? She did say she, it felt like it needed something. So she brought it. And I do agree. Oh, really? Oh, okay. No, I, I agree with you is what I'm saying. That like, she said it needed something, so she brought the bloody like curtain. Oh, okay. Sorry, I misheard you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do think it adds something. I don't know what. It, I, I think it makes. I think it brings it from lovely uh, '60s woman to psycho, to horror yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. Because there's no blood on the dress, and I'm sure it's an expensive dress, so I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that kind of brings it. In, I think. Mm-hmm. So it, I think too. Yes, agreed, Kibi. Uh, I toot. I toot. I toot. Yay. Um, Yay. One more. One more? Yeah. The weekend. Uh, the weekend. I actually haven't seen this one. Brace yourself. Hold on to your pussy. Oh my God. Obsessed. Okay, so the weekend is dressed in white face as um uh, Don yeah, Don Corleone, the Godfather. Mm-hmm. And it looks fantastic. I mean, this has to be prosthetics. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. I yeah, mean because be- it's dragging. Yeah, because the skin's dragging, it makes him look old. Um, it looks fantastic. This remind I mean, not like directly, but like there's these, I don't remember who it is. One of the girls from Canada's drag race. With some other Canadian drag queen who I don't know, they did white girls and they put on white face. <laughs> uh, um, so very fun. I'm into it, um, and it looks like he even put on like a suit for it because like the weekend's in shape and like in this photo, mm-hmm. um, he's like in the full thing and like he has like the weight on him and stuff. So that's cool. Right. Dedication. I like yeah. that. I mean, you don't see that from like a lot of the straight male celebrities. So incredible. Harry Styles, take note. Yeah. Harry. It's a tape from May. Mm. Oh, it's a toot. It's a confused toot for me. And you love to see it. <laughs> uh, love the unified front on all of these. Um, and that was uh, our hot takes for this week, I guess. I mean, we're going to have a lot of hot takes because... Um, I mean, we're going to get into it now, I guess, with Midsummer. Midsummer is a movie that we've seen a lot, um, all three of us. I mean, this is my, when I watched it for this, this was like my fourth time watching it. Um, and I, I mean, I know Faye has watched it like a million and one times. Hello. I think I've watched it six times. Six times? Yeah, which is very unusual. Okay. Is Is it usually more or less? It's usually less. The only other movie that I feel like I've seen that many times is Ring. I've seen more times than that, but between that is probably like just hereditary. Mm. Right. They have similar uh, rewatchability for me for some reason. Right. 
Um, I think Hereditary is more rewatchable for me, but we'll get into where we'll let's start with like a brief, um, just a very brief like overview of the plot because the plot's pretty simple. Um, and also like me and Kimmy both agreed that we want to prioritize um what you call it. We want to prioritize like the analysis more. So um, well, there's honestly not too much to say. Right. Danny. Um Florence Pugh. Yes, mm-hmm. lovely Florence Pugh, Danny. She's our main character, our heroine. Her entire family just got killed in a murder suicide, and she has a shitty boyfriend that we all hate collectively. Mm-hmm. And um, they go on a trip to Sweden to one of their friends' cult festival and start getting picked off one by one. Oh no. Right. Bye. Stuff happens. Right. Um, and they get throughout the whole thing to become more and more uh, involved in the cult, let's say. Mm-hmm. Yes, Danny is slowly inculcated, which is um, going to be a point of contention tonight, I'm sure. <laughs> right. Um, so, I mean, I guess... I guess a good place to start is like the relationship, right? I mean, like the the cult, yes, is obviously the most like needy part to like look into and talk about. But like, I feel like the aspect of the relationship, also because like um, Astor has said in interviews that this is so a breakup, right? That this is this is the product of a breakup that he was going through with a partner, which he says partner. He makes a point to say partner, <gasps> non gendered. So gay queer mm-hmm. yes um anyway my own readings aside he said that this is a product of a breakup and he was going through a really awful breakup and that this is what came out of it and i just say oh also ariaster has mentioned that uh he creates best in times of crisis i'm like girl we know but aside, <laughs> <laughs> but aside from that if i were ariaster's ex and i heard that and saw this i would file a restraining order <laughs> But I mean, like, the relationship is obviously central because, like, Danny is dating uh, Christian, who Mm -hmm. is in a PhD program. Do they specify? I think it's anthropology. Anthropology. Yeah, they're all anthropology students. Yeah. So um, Christopher knows Pele, who is Swedish, which is the friend that Kim mentioned. And then, like, he wants to bring everyone back to his cult, essentially. And they all go back because... um, I don't remember what his name is. He plays Chidi in The Good Place. He's like, he already has a plan to like do a thesis. Yes, Josh already has a plan to do a thesis there. So Danny ends up going because uh, Christopher just like invites her in a like a weird panic because they're in a really awful relationship. Uh, Yes, but, uh, you know, aside from the obvious, like um, they're basically going to break up and then Danny's sister dies or well, not dies. Danny's sister kills herself and their parents. Okay. Um, and then Josh kind of can't break up with her. So they just go through Christian. this whole awful... Yeah, Christian. Ah! Um, can't break up <laughs> with Danny. Uh, this is what happens when I don't make the Google Doc with the names. Um, <laughs> um, God, this has been a long thing I'm going on, huh? Um, anyway, so aside aside from the obvious tension within them, like that tension then becomes like a main 
point when they're in the cult because like they slowly become separated Mm -hmm. and like Danny uh, herself like allows herself to be separated from him the more Mm -hmm. she becomes like involved in the cult which is very interesting and also very quick right yeah Um, once the initial panic attacks pass she kind of just fits right in right yeah no the thing is like I the first time that Danny stands up for herself and it's very subtle but you can tell that like there's a there's a line of defense like was when um it was after that incredible scene with her and Pele which is my favorite scene where he asks does he feel like home to you and that was the first time that like the um, where she she realized like the like the seed was planted right that she right right, that she didn't belong with Christian that he didn't in fact provide her with the emotional stability that she needed and um the next scene or at least the scene after I don't know two scenes from that like she's sitting it was after um the the first day ritual and she's there she's contemplating and christian says something along the lines of um we just need to acclimate or we just need to accept what's going on here it's a cultural thing something bullshit and she looks at him she glares at him and says are you not disturbed by what you saw right and to me that means that 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 like she's really struck by his lack of empathy um which this is after um they witness like the so they have something called the harga life cycle which the people are called harga um and they have three different stages i don't remember the number but basically it's spring summer fall and then the winter is that once they reach 72 i believe they get everyone observes as they get pushed off a cliff and then if they're still alive they get their head hammered in and that's like the end of their life cycle and no one tells the group that that's what they're going to see so it's very upsetting but uh christopher like faye says doesn't really seem affected by it which i think creates an interesting conversation one with the relationship like faye was saying but two with the whole like um I think it's a little bit of a critique on academics, honestly. Oh my god! Oh my god! I cannot. What? I, every time. Oh, I think I I had to pause the movie when um the first time I heard Josh sp- Josh speak. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I, I will say preemptively that like this doesn't they don't read to me like PhD students. They don't read to me, except for Josh. Josh seems to be the quintessential PhD student. You know, somebody who is overanalytical, who intellectualizes emotion and human empathy, right? Has some sort of like pedantic, discoursey distance from whatever event is in front of him. And so like, I can I can see him as a typical. Well, PhD. I will say in my PhD program, I definitely met a Josh, and I definitely met a Christian. Oh. <laughs> yeah, the one Although, who the most out of place is um the guy who pees on the oh eyebrows. Tree. Yeah, eyebrows. There's some other friend who 
pees on an ancestral tree and gets skinned alive. Mark. Yeah, Mark. There we go. Yes. I keep forgetting his fucking name. Yeah, I couldn't care less, honestly, about his name. But um, he basically, he's like very dude bro. That one, not so much for me. I mean, like, yeah, it probably exists, but like just that kind of personality in the PhD program I was in and just in general, it does not seem super like attracted to a PhD program. But you know, you never know, I guess. Also, I'm sick. So if you hear sniffling, just deal with it. Sorry, a listener. <laughs> um, but yes, it definitely seems like a critique of academics because I mean, like, first of all, the relation, I mean, Josh is like dead set on going because like he's already going to write his thesis. I mean, they don't specify super a lot, which is probably for the best because, you know, Ari Aster might not know, you know, the ins and out of a PhD program, but that's fine. But like they're in some stage of writing their thesis. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's suggested that Christopher Christian, Christian. Uh, <laughs> Christian <laughs> um christians it's not christian um even some gargoyles so it's suggested that christian um should already have his like thesis topic in mind but doesn't mm-hmm. and that josh already has his and it's going to be on like something to do with like i don't i, don't, I think it's like midsummer religion festivals yeah yes the midsummer festivals yeah. yes kivy coming in with the facts yeah <laughs> i remember uh, very specific things about this movie and not much else yeah i mean you kind of have to pluck some of it out i mean this movie this movie is like well at the end we're going to obviously ask if it indoors and talk about that but like this movie is definitely a good movie but it's a very upsetting movie to watch um Except apparently for Faye, who's a sociopath and watched it twice in a 24 hour period. I, I couldn't help it. I couldn't have, I've written, I've, I've watched this in a variety of contexts. Like I've watched it, you know, in, in a movie theater with you Kim, and our friend Brian. Um, and into a three day depressive episode. It, it, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Like I didn't want anybody to talk, like nobody touched me. I'm thinking, um, but yeah, I watched it that, and like, there have been a variety of times where I'm like, I'm thinking about this scene and then I end up watching the whole movie. Right. So like mm-hmm. once on, uh, as a first timer, a, a couple of times, you know, I, I kind of stumble into watching the whole thing. And then I was also, um, copy editing an academic essay on Midsommar. So I ended up watching the whole thing because I was like, I don't think this person got it right. <laughs> let me prove. Well, let, let me just say, I read some of that essay. That person did not get it right. <laughs> I'll edit that out if you want. <laughs> no, I, um, but yeah, and then one again, and then again for for this, just in like, because I wanted to, and also just in mental preparation and to put myself in a midsummer mood for it. So it's just, I... I'm just so, I'm just so involved in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's a narrative where if you know what's going to happen, it doesn't matter that you know what's going to happen. You still need to watch it happen. Right. I mean, Aster is definitely the king of like putting like really um, esoteric shit all over the place. Mm. And I think Midsummer does, I mean, 
well, I'm putting that question back in my mind. Hold on. I think Midsummer more successfully than Hereditary has a plot line. I mean, the Midsummer plot line is fairly simple. And mm-hmm. I think that's to its benefit because Aster favors, I mean, that's a very like traditional horror thing, right? Is make stuff esoteric, make it so that you have to pick things apart to really get like all of the like runes and stuff in the background. Right. But like Hereditary, the last quarter is basically nonsense. Um, which <laughs> yeah. Which is not to say I think Aster doesn't have a vision. I think Aster has a clear vision. It's just a matter of whether he's willing to explain it to us, the viewer, um, which I don't think he was in Hereditary. And I think either he I, he might have learned from Hereditary that it, it behooves him as a filmmaker to like make it make some sort of sense. So Midsummer definitely has like a more logical plot line that you can follow. But that doesn't mean there's not a lot to get into. I mean, there's all kinds of symbolism. I mean, aesthetically, it's fantastic. Oh my God. Um, I mean, there's still all of the nudity and stuff from <laughs> Hereditary that's here. I mean, there's runes all over the place. Um, which I, yes, of course, the trauma. I mean, Josh, the character mentions like what kind of language it is, which I'm sure you could go through and look up and it will probably be real. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what's always... Um, attracted me to Midsommar over Hereditary was how deeply psychological it is and how symbolic it is for something. And then not to say that like horror itself isn't isn't psychological, but it's just something like Midsommar is more accessible to to me and what I what I and how I like become emotionally invested in art or audiovisual. And and there. here's where we turn against Faye. Because yeah. go ahead. No, 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 Kibby, the floor is open to you. No, I was gonna say, um, I I do think that Midsummer is um more broadly emotionally resonant. Yeah. I think hereditary for a more concentrated um audience is equally emotionally resonant. Mm-hmm. Um mainly just that, um, I don't know, that movie's approach to mental illness, yes, there is a demon king and there's crazy cultists, but it's a movie about trauma and about family and complicated relationships between parents and children and deaths of children, deaths of loved ones and processing all of this horrible stuff that, um, you then find out has been going on the whole time, right? Right under your feet or in your attic or what have you. Um, and with the acting, it really to me comes across as such a such an emotionally jarring movie, but such a cathartic one too, the same way that Midsummer is cathartic. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, we were I was talking about this with both of you, I think. For me personally, I like Hereditary better, but I mean, me and Kimmy obviously are like super big fans of horror and Faye. Faye will watch horror with us sometimes, but like that's not like Faye's preferred um, genre. But like, I think, like I was saying to you two previously, I think Hereditary has, its highs are way higher than Midsummer, but its lows are also way lower. So like I said, like the last quarter of Hereditary makes no sense, which is a huge thing against it. Whereas Midsummer, I don't think it has a, I don't think it hits it out of the park quite as much as uh, Hereditary when Hereditary when Hereditary is like on, but like it's more consistent. And for that, I think it makes it for an 
I mean, it's more upsetting image-wise. I think like a lot of the stuff in Hereditary is like a little campier, like a head on the side of the road that's like practical effects, like it's very campy and it's not necessarily scary, quote unquote. Um, but I think overall it makes for a more enjoyable viewer experience. It's less alienating. Hereditary is less alienating? No, no, no. Midsummer is less alienating. Oh, okay. Midsummer. Never mind. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I had a song. Didn't apply anymore, and then I instantly forgot it. Yes. Um, Let's go. Well, I actually wanted to talk about something that Kimmy had mentioned. Um, what you say? Oh, you mentioned like um, was it? Oh, like you were talking about like how mental health is like manifested in Hereditary. I kind of wanted to talk about like Ari Aster as like I think he's like very. Um, of this generation of filmmakers, I think he's like definitely like a standout. Mm-hmm. I think because of that, that like gives him a legacy already after only like, I mean, he technically has three movies because he has a thesis movie, but like after only two like A24 productions, like that's pretty amazing. Yeah. But like aside from that, I think he's very like, his work at least now is very indicative of a transition, I think, that we're seeing in horror in the sense that like in the depictions of mental health and in the depictions of like uh, defigurement and how like, we're kind of going through growing pains on how to like incorporate those classic tropes and also make them like not insanely offensive mm-hmm. which I don't think he was entirely successful in hereditary because like the inbred like uh uh like tr- soothsayer or whatever who's like insanely disfigured like that's not exactly PC or kosher to me mm-hmm. but I I think it's definitely indicative of trying to get away from certain other like bad horror tropes and it's kind of interesting to see those growing pains I mean like I think in general probably horror filmmakers are trying to get away from that but you know I don't know if they're necessarily as successful as Aster. Yeah one of my gripes with Hereditary um, is the way that he kind of turns Charlie's ticks into like horror stings, like yeah. jump scares, minor jump scares, um, which I didn't think was all that nice, I suppose, having ticks myself. And um, in Midsummer too, that was the one thing, the one thing that like really gave me pause where I was like, I don't know why this character is like this <laughs> or has like has to be like this to right fill the role or how being um being disfigured in some way inherently makes you um a prophet i think in the most charitable reading um aster is trying to like like the lord diggeth the lord giveth or whatever like or the lord giveth the lord taketh away or whatever like yes they're disfigured but they're also like they can see the future like in the most charitable reading aster's trying to like make up for for the quote unquote negative, but I don't think it's entirely successful in the same way, like setting this in a cult in like, I mean, this is replacing the tribal quote unquote, like background that would traditionally be used for something like this. Mm -hmm. Or, and instead of using people of color, he's putting it in Sweden, but also the black person dies first or not dies first, but dies second. You know what I mean? And there's only one black character. Who dies first? Some characters die off screen. Mark dies oh. off screen. Oh, but Simon oh, yes. and Connie, oh, they yeah. also die. I'm, I'm not sure they die before or after Josh. Well, I mean, 
Simon was kidnapped. Simon goes missing. goes missing slash quote unquote leaves first Mm -hmm. and eventually we see his body's flame so we know he's dead um so if we go by that then technically simon dies first but simon's also like a background character and perhaps a person of color although he's very light-skinned so we don't know but again he would be dying first then connie disappears who's the only other person of color who is a background character both of them are just people that show up who are from london who are friends of peleg um and then josh of the main characters i mean mark dies off screen Uh um josh dies very early um and is really the only main cast member of color Uh um and then you know christian kind of absorbs his idea and takes it um which can be a commentary which we can talk about but also i think again it's that growing pains to me of like trying to like show this like dynamic between a white man and a black man in a PhD program and how the white man can just steal the idea. But when you remove the black man or black person in general from the screen and then only tell the white person, even if they're the villain in that case, it's still not really doing the work. Do you know what I mean? You've now removed the black voice from the screen and are telling the story through the white, through the focus of the white people, if that makes sense. Faye looks very confused. Yeah, I think think Ari Aster took a... Um, circumstantial race approach to this movie. Like, race doesn't signify anything. It just is what it is. It's incidental. Um, right, but what, naturally when there are multiple, when there are people of different races interacting on screen, especially when you only have one main person of color in general, it inherently comes with implications. Especially right, exactly. when the white character, who is the villain, to be fair, I mean, objectively i think christian is the villain or no well no i mean the cult's Um, the villain the cult's the villain but like objectively christian is not one of the quote-unquote like perfect good guys like christian is someone who mistreats danny to a certain extent and also steals josh's thesis someone who just has no regard for others someone who's really selfish which when you when josh is the only person of color and he gets his idea stolen it then becomes a racial commentary intentional or not but Mm -hmm. what i'm saying is it's kind of like half-baked which perhaps is a symptom of it not being aster's primary goal but i still feel like that's something that i feel like the fact that he said it in sweden says that he's at least partially aware of the racial implications of that tribal cult trope and horror so one should then be aware of the implication the implications of the white man stealing the black man's thesis and then removing the black man from the conversation altogether. Yeah, that that made it all the more confusing for me to um, see Ruben as a character with a developmental disorder or, or disfigurement of some sort. Um, have like probably three collective minutes of screen time and right. just kind of serve this one purpose I mean, um, he's very childlike as well. Sorry, what were you going to say, Faye? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, of like, it It seemed the most, Ruben seemed to be the most out of place character for me in this movie because like all of the shocks that, you know, came from elsewhere. Um, you, right. know, the, um, the, you know, the 
the symbolism of inhaling and exhaling, you know, the, the flashes back to the, the murder-suicide, the jump cuts, like all of those things are, are scary for me, right? Or scary enough for me and like set the tone for what Ariaster was trying to do, psycho- like psychologically and narrative- narratively. And so I didn't quote unquote need Ruben. Right. Um, and I didn't, I, it, it was very hard for me to, to place him um, um, in the movie, you know, see it's his right. ultimate purpose in the movie. I think, I think Arias, I think one, it's a, Ruben is a symptom of the Ariaster syndrome in which he can't help himself from like, yeah. not from making everything esoteric and not necessarily making sense. And while he clearly had, I don't know if it was him directly or maybe like other people on on staff for the movie where like editing him or if he was self-editing clearly he did a lot of that but like I think Ruben is a leftover symptom of that and I also think he kind of tells on himself a little bit in the sense that like Ruben is like very childish and very disfigured um which is kind of two stereotypes that go together and then he said oh well we'll make them a soothsayer but like he Ariaster really likes to do stuff with like the human body and like disfigurement. And I think the fact that he included Ruben and gave him no story and then just said he can see the future. I think he's kind of telling on himself that like he views disfigurement as a uh, 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 child, like people who are products of incest. Right. People who, whose vision is pure. Also, I just remembered that Ruben is literally inbred. That's like mm-hmm. exists because of that. That's a system they have in place. Right. right, which I just remembered, which is also really shocking um, and, and yeah. exploitive. Um, but I guess that's just one thing on a laundry list of fucked up um, ideas conveyed in this movie. Indeed, midsummer. <laughs> no, I just can't stop thinking about. I think one of the most infuriating things about Christian's character is how emotionally illiterate he is, which I know was the point, right? But like- That's part of what makes this un- like almost unwatchable for me because I have been with a, you know, I mean, not to the same extent, but with a Christian. So it's just, it hits too close to home for me and it hits too close to me seeing myself acting in a certain way I wouldn't act now. It's too much for me. It's so, honestly, the first, like, what is it? Like 10, 15 minutes, the intro, that's the most unbearable for me in this whole thing, which there nothing scary happens except that like her sister kills herself and her parents, which is just a brief flash. It's like two minutes of the whole thing. And I, I would say that's not even what makes me the most uncomfortable. I also rewatched the deleted scene from this film i don't know if you if you've ever seen it i haven't seen it too but him and danny get into a fight and um like the this scene is supposed to take place like later in the movie and it was one of the only scenes that took place in the dark um or i'm sorry at nighttime um and they're talking near the lake and um she really really wants to leave and he's insistent on staying here because he wants to write his thesis on it and that's his excuse like yeah that's his excuse to stay and she asks him point blank do you not love me anymore and he says what does that have to do with it the complete evasion of the question Mm -hmm. um and she responds with some sort of 
textbook definition because she studies psychology and she responds back with some sort of textbook definition of what stage their their relationship is in and he ironically um rebukes her for applying their relationship to some sort like or looking at the relationship as it currently stands through some sort of psychological lens which is not like like spare me that's not even that bad but the irony of it is that like him and like his academic phd cohort colleagues whatever like see the world in through a, a discursive lens or like talk discursively and it shows how evasive and emotionally literate he is that he puts himself like it only doesn't matter or it's only bad when he is he is um he is clearly in in like or the victim of it or wait vice versa or whatever um and that scene was so infuriating to watch because of how cyclical it is, how evasive it is, how like like unvulnerable it is, unempathetic yeah. it was, right? And that was a really hard scene for me to watch. That was harder for me to watch than a Destupa. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like the the emotional turmoil is definitely like because it's more real. It's like more, it's more uncomfortable as a viewer to watch sometimes. I mean, like Ari Aster does have some like really gory stuff. So, you know, I mean, like when they smash a head and yeah, it's hard, but you know, the emotional stuff is hard. I am glad they deleted that scene because that would absolutely worsen my viewing experience. And it sounds a little trite to me. I, I actually, no, I, I think that they were right to delete it. Right. I, I mean, incorporating psychological jargon, it's not the seventies. I'm over yeah. it. Yeah, no, I wasn't really about it. You know, I, I like that. I didn't really care for the actual definition. I cared for the fact that I cared for how it characterized Christian as as a huge fucking hypocrite, which he has been, he, which he had been the entire movie. It was so prevalent. Um, but like how, but also how like leechy and conniving he is at times. Like how he would like, like how, how when, Josh and Mark go missing and the lead the lead Horgan Hargan's um question Danny and Christian and Pele like Christian steps in and was just like we have no association with these people what a shame right, right? he's and a very curated person oh my right. god I mean even before that I mean we first get I mean we we first get introduced to his nature because of his relationship with Danny but that's not always you know, necessarily a, like, indication of a character's full personality, you know, like, relationships, you can act in a way you wouldn't normally act. However, the first indication we get that, like, he's conniving is that, like, he decides he's going to do, like, we said, Josh's thesis, essentially. He's going to do a thesis on the, the Hargan people. Um, and then we find out that he talked to Pelly about, like, interviewing people mm-hmm. before he even told Josh, because mm-hmm. Josh goes to ask about interviews and then he finds out that, you know, um, Christian had already asked. I think that's also, maybe it's just me, but like to me, this also introduces a racial question because like they they are very interested in Christian, like the the cult and Pele. One, because they, so that they have like a mating ritual and they meet, they, because they have such a small 
uh, population, they sometimes need to bring in outside people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at the end, Christian ends up meeting with a girl mm-hmm. who's from the cult. Um, but they're interested in him and none of the others. And he is blonde, white, blue eyed, which all the people in the cult are the same. Um, and what? Christian is blonde? Yes. I'm so bad with hair color. Mama, I'm, those colors were so like, saturated. How did you miss that? I'm so sorry. I'm really bad <laughs> with hair colors. Like, side note, pause on the I'm very bad with guessing hair colors. <laughs> you don't have to guess it, girl. It's a movie. They show you. <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. No, I, I, oh my God. Like, I don't know the difference between strawberry blonde, red, and blonde. And okay, like, that is hard. Apparently, I'm was, very yeah go ahead my friend danielle is strawberry blonde i thought she was red <laughs> it doesn't matter i mean that's strawberry blonde and redhead is difficult but blonde is yellow mama i mean also i mean for the viewer who hasn't seen this like midsummer by like the last 20 minutes is so saturated with some instagram filter like his hair is literally yellow girl <laughs> oh i just thought that was the the glare the reflection of the sun I, I think they saturated it, but like, I mean, it's not literally an Instagram filter, but it's definitely saturated to like add to the effect of like everything being, they're all hallucinogenics, but you know. Yeah, oh, for sure. It's got a warm quality to it at all times. Ooh, just popped a nail off. Good. Ow. I'm I, drag, by the way. I um, really think it's red, guys. It's not. I, you might oh be colorblind, God. babe. Wait, don't, don't they make a thing out of him needing to be red haired to, to be a match for Maya? I did, did not. I, did I make that up? Because I, I, I don't know. I remember hearing or reading something about that. Was that in the movie? Was that after? <laughs> but I just remembered it. So I don't know. It might be a clue. Guys, I really, oh my God. Guys, I'm, I think I'm trying to. I'm gonna fucking puke. I'm like, I really. I, okay, you know what? In your defense, he could be strawberry blonde. Really? <laughs> he could be strawberry blonde, but at a point when they have it, the colors all saturated, and they're sitting at the table, and the guy claps, like it's like yellow. So he's at least blonde. I don't know, but like he is. All this is to say, I mean, they have a red-haired girl. All of them are. Everyone in the cult is blonde hair, blue eyes, unless they're old and they have white hair or they have red hair. So either way, it goes. The same point stands that he is either blonde or strawberry blonde, blue eyes, white. And so they're willing to help him. And they it becomes clear that they're willing to let him like interview people. And only then will they let Josh interview people. And then Christian doesn't die until the very end. Mm-hmm. And the people themselves don't decide that. Uh, the May Queen, who is Danny, mm-hmm. uh, decides that he will die. Mm-hmm. So that calls into a question of race as well, because they're not willing to participate with the black guy, but because they want to maintain their, because they say their bloodlines are very well maintained and they bring oh, outside people. Okay. To me, that's racial. Right, no. Which, I, it, which again is what I'm saying. Like, I, I think that has to be a little, I, I don't think race has to be like the pri- necessarily the primary goal for Aster, but I think that's clearly showing like an understanding of race. Right. Um, That's a really interesting perspective. Right, which is interesting, but also then is again half-baked. Yes. Uh, because again, we remove the one Black voice or and the people from London are just like side notes, basically. But Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. 
what were we talking before? No, I was talking about my infuriation with Christian. And like, so I think other hard scenes that scenes that were hard for me to watch uh, were of Danny in the beginning uh, when she was talking to Christian and how much she would have to like reduce herself and apologize for things. Right, because right, like, you you mentioned when she stands up for herself for the first time, she does try and stand up for herself, but she just allows herself to be like uh, forced back in because she'll like argue with Christian about things and then he'll like get annoyed and then she'll think that he's going to leave and she'll just like panic and like take it back. Right, right. Like for her, like none of her feelings are never validated by Christian. Um, and so like in in a desperate attempt to get him to stay or to like yeah whatever like she she reduces whatever claim or whatever um what whatever she's trying to say to christian whether it's like the thing with sweden when she when he didn't tell her that she was that he was going to Sweden and so like all she was trying to do was say it was kind of weird when really she wanted to say that it did hurt her did anger her like I really did wish that you would tell me right there is no level of assertion whatsoever and that's because she's scared that it will annoy Christian and it would annoy Christian right which it's proven he's proven over and over again that whatever type of grievance she has like like is made up or or is um or like she's victimizing herself whatever um and so like when she, when he keeps w- wanting to leave an argument saying, you know what, I'll just go, which of course is a half-assed way of saying like, it gets, it gets Danny to reel him back in and stay in the conversation and keeps him, keeps him dominant in whatever discussion that they're having and so much to, and then they go keep going in circles until the one thing that they're trying to say to each other is not discussed at all you know so it's just another thing that's pushed under the rug you know and that that was so infuriating for for me to watch right i mean also this circles back so like like i've said multiple times on this podcast fan theory that Ari Aster is queer i just feel i mean danny is clearly the person we're supposed to identify with mm-hmm. which it's just very unusual for a straight man to identify with a, a woman in a, especially when you're talking about your own breakup. It's very unusual. Second, um, what immediately contradicting that, what kind of derails that theory is Ari Aster's obsession with heterosexual gender roles. Because in this movie, like they say, like there's this, this fixation on making sure that Christian is dominant. And then at the end, there's obviously a reverse because Danny is suddenly in power mm-hmm. and decides to let him die. But like, aside from that, like even in the beginning, his friends, when they're like telling him to like break up with Danny, like one of them was like, you, you could be getting like all kinds of girls pregnant. Yeah, right. And then like, obviously there's like this whole fertility, like pregnancy ritual and like you know the they have sex in a ritualistic way at the cult and then like the girl after says I can feel the baby which is just like that kind of does poke a hole in my theory but also it's just like a very big obsession with that like this heteronormative cycle of life type right I mean but then again like 
uh, when they're there, I mean, like, it kind of focuses, like, he flips the gender roles again when they're at the cult. So then I'm like, is it it's supposed to be that flip, that critique of it? Because, you know, Christian becomes just a mating machine. Like, he, <laughs> Faye just sneezed vigorously. But Christian essentially becomes, like, a baby factory. Mm. They use him for his sperm and then they kill him, which is a reversal of, you know, traditional, well, not traditional, but like common gender norms wherein a woman is just there to make babies. Mm. And all the women get to experience a sisterhood and they all share emotions and they all share pain. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know where I stand on the Ari Aster queer thing, but. It's interesting thinking now about him um, kind of channeling his own experience through a female character, hereditary, even though, um, what's his name? Alex Wolf. Oh, God. Alex Wolf. The son. Even though, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the son, even though he ends up kind of being the most important character at the end, the film overall is about motherhood, pretty mm-hmm. specifically. And, um, there's definitely a pattern there. I mean, Tony Collette is the star of that. Oh my god, yeah. she's she is the main character. Oh my god. Which part of the problem? That somewhere there's no Tony Collette. Yes, that, that's it. I mean, that's Florence Pugh does do a pretty good job, but like mm-hmm. her, like she's not a bad actor in it, but like the acting is not the main state of Midsummer. Oh no, well, by no means, like it passes. Yeah. You know, it, like, but I just don't think that there was like um there was a display of the of emotional range in as as much as in hereditary, namely in Tony Collette. Right. Um I was gonna say something I forgot what I was gonna say. Well, you, you dumb bitch. <laughs> well. <laughs> um should we discuss disappointment boulevard briefly? I don't know why that came to me, but Ari Aster's next Disappointment Boulevard. Oh, oh, yes. So another thing that kind of supports my queer Ari Aster theory is that, so his next movie is Disappointment Boulevard, which is supposed to be, there's not much known about it, but it's supposed to be a horror comedy, which already turns me off as a viewer. (laughs) Don't like that. Um, But two of the people listed in the cast are Nathan Lane and Patti LuPone. Gay. Okay. Okay. Yeah, fair. What Meryl Streep. is Meryl Streep in it? Yeah. Oh my god. Again. Joaqu- Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. What 30-year-old street man <laughs> would say, hmm, okay, I'm making this horror comedy. Who am I gonna pick? Okay, Patty Lapone, obviously. Uh-huh. Um, yes, Nathan Lane. Yes, yes. Um, Meryl Streep. Just saying. Um, the fact that it's a horror comedy, I don't know. I just feel like it's going to be his downfall. I'm very um, I'm apprehensive about what Ari Aster's idea of comedy is based on Midsummer's comedy. Which could be part of his downfall, honestly, I think. I think when he starts actually like trying to be funny, we're going to start seeing all the problematic shit he's been hiding. Oh, wow. Midsummer like, is just irony. It's just comedy. No. My art. Oh yes. Um, but also, like, I don't know. I just like Ari Aster. I don't need you to be funny. 
I've never needed you to be funny. <laughs> I haven't. I, I mean, like, okay, I like his humor in Hereditary. Like, the way that the sister dies, like, that's, like, horror humor. It is. I don't like, know if I would go that far with that with that with that death specifically. But um, okay, but like the head rolling on the side of the road with the tongue sticking out, that's that's horror humor. That shot is definitely canceled. well, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. That happens later though, like just the the initial kind of like um impact of her hitting the pole. I think is harrowing, but the shot of her yes. head on the side of the road definitely. Yes, but I mean, like the shot on the side of the road is like horror humor. That's fine. That's fine. But like yeah. this whole like I don't know like a yuck yuck horror comedy. What does that even look like? I don't want that. <laughs> also, like, how is he gonna do that? He's too busy making hard cuts and like artsy shots. Oh. How does hor- how does horror humor actually work? You know, like in what. Can we talk about that for a second? Like, how do those compl- prom night? Pardon? Prom night. Mm. Prom night is horror, but funny. I mean, it probably wasn't intentionally funny, but um, I think like horror humor basically like it comes down to one campiness. So, what does that entail? If you're in a slasher, that means like Halloween, a girl getting killed while with a telephone wire, and her tits are out, and she's making orgasm noises and crossing her eyes. That's funny. Um, it means like a head rolling on the side of the road with the tongue sticking out and like flies buzzing around. It means, um, I don't know, like Scream making a joke about like uh, 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 Rose McGowan making a joke to the killer about being like, oh, do you want to play the serial killer and I'll be the victim? And then like it doesn't, and then it ends up being real and then she gets crushed but her head's a fucking blow up doll. Mm. Like that that kind of stuff is like horror humor, but it's not a horror comedy. When when I think of horror comedy, I think of Creep, 2014 Creep. Say, did we watch that together? What? Creep? Yeah, we did. Yeah, that is a nobody wants to admit it, but that is a like black humor horror comedy. And I think it pulls it off really well just by um it's a it's a mockumentary for those unfamiliar. Um, I guess what we do in the shadows would also be but... horror comedy, right? Yeah, yeah, I would well, say so. I didn't even I didn't think of that as horror at all. They're vampires, <laughs> Faye. No, okay, I understand that, but like, <laughs> there's no uh, there's no thrill of horror that like inherent within what we do in the shadows. Like yeah, it, it like they assume the 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 characters and the, the the characteristics and the attributes and the characters themselves of of vampires and yeah, like and vampires are you know are long associated with horror narratives, but like I feel like it was just too um, like it was too like I yeah I don't know like I, it, oh my God I feel like I'm rambling here, but like. I just don't think that it has it's definitely that... more on the comedy side. Obviously. Yeah, that's why I never considered it. Horrible. I mean, it, it would be a satire of horror tropes, but like, um, I think probably the best current example would be I haven't seen it, but Bad Hair, that movie with like Vanessa Williams and Kelly Rowland. Mm-hmm. It's like basically like a slasher, but like, let me read the description. Basically, like they're like wigs and weaves like get 
are like haunted. <gasps> yes. <gasps> okay. Yes. I, it's I, on Hulu. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1989, which already is Gambi, an ambitious young woman gets a weave in order to succeed in the image-obsessed world of music television. However, her flourishing career may come at a great cost when she realizes that her new hair may have a mind of its own. Mm-hmm. That's more comedy successful, I think. But conceptually, I haven't seen it. I don't think Ari Aster can make an, a bad hair. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, like, do you know what the movie is about? No, I mean, there's nothing really about it out. I mean, probably what was going to happen is it was going to be filmed 2020, but obviously that didn't happen. I also recently found out Ari Aster has a Twitter, which I had to get off of because I can't have access to him. Oh. <laughs> All right, I guess I'm going to do it for you, babes. All right, I'll stop. I'll stop when something shitty comes up. Retweets, retweets. Oh. I mean, I saw something about Martin Scorsese on yeah. Twitter. Right? So <laughs> I said, I said this conflicts, this conflicts too powerfully with what I have curated of your image and I won't be having it. Goodbye. Okay, artwork. I'm looking for tweets of his own. Damn, come on. No, there's Albert Brooks. It'll be fun. Where's it's it's just Criterion Collection retweets. Okay. That's all it is. Um, but you know, as fascinating for the listener as scrolling through our answers Twitter is, why don't we uh, round it up, close it out, and say whether or not we think is this movie dead inside or will it endure? Do we see it 10, 15, maybe even 20 or 30 years down the line still being uh, a horror staple. Uh, Faye, as our special guest, would you like to to be the first to comment? Yeah, I really, I really do think so. I do think so. I think that, it, as we just said earlier in the podcast, or Kibby pointed out, like how um, broadly accessible um, Midsommar is, you know, right. and I think that it can be um, for people that are not into horror per se like I feel like this is a very um a very poignant and you know well done take on um things that like um things that they could relate to Mm -hmm. and so I think that like it it offers like that type of break that type of breakthrough that connection um to audiences that kind of um and yeah like can will make it will keep it relevant for um for some time um and and yeah no I I I don't know if I can speak for 20 30 years but I can't see it in the next decade like people being like yeah you haven't seen Midsommar why um yeah so I don't think it's dead inside maybe what say you um, Midsummer 100% is going to be considered a classic, I think, for the next 20 decades or, or later, honestly. It's so iconic and aestheticized and um, well executed in the way it's aestheticized. Everything, um, every little detail about this movie can be connected to this movie, stripped of all context. Um, if if you 
think about it, like if you've seen it and kind of know what um, happens. And I just think the imagery alone is um, iconic enough to stick with people uh, indefinitely. Mm. I definitely agree. I mean, we're definitely, I think objectively we're in a horror slump. I mean, it does, that's not to say horror movies aren't coming out, but like in terms of quote unquote good horror and memorable horror, I would say, I mean, like, for example, like Kimmy and I took like this quiz that like mentioned 2010s horrors and we both were like, why are we in this decade? This makes no sense. There's no real good horror movies. Um, So I think we have been since the 2010s in quite a bit of a slump. And I think only two direct, I think if you can uh, stand out and be memorable when there is nothing worth seeing in a genre, you will endure. And I think the only two horror directors that have done that in the past decade objectively are Ari Aster and Jordan Peele. Yes, And I think, of course, everything that my uh, lovely co-host and lovely guests have said are true. But I think also because Ari Aster is so indicative of this time, like I said, what really interests me aside from like, of course, the aesthetics are beautiful, um, which again is something that isn't always seen in horror. I mean, it's kind of like evolving the horror aesthetic because like what was so standout before about horror is the campy over the top like cheap effects and now like the the simple fact is with a24 i mean like ari aster is showing like a new evolution and a new place to take um aesthetic art artsy horror but aside from that i think um he's just so indicative of the times like i mentioned the growing pains which is so interesting to me like seeing him try and edit the horror narrative like still maintain the traditions but like update them make them a bit more relevant is he always 100 successful i would not say so but i do think he is trying and i think because of that it's very indicative of this era we're in and i think it'll be an interesting transition period um aside from that i guess the last thing i want to say is midsummer as like a work of art like me and kivy had said this before like we both prefer hereditary but we both think that Midsummer is more um, built to last. It's mm. more, yes. um, as we said, accessible to the audience okay. because there's an actual plot to follow for all of the movie. Um, the aesthetics are all there. Um, and it still has that like interesting Ari Aster touch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if you can watch a movie and say, I know what director that is, I know who created that, again, great. That's a great formula to endure. And I don't think it's dead inside of England. Well said. And also now that Jordan Peele has been mentioned, um, I think Us is a good example of horror comedy. Um, and Get Out as well, but Us especially. I completely forgot that Us had funny moments. Yeah, it had funny it moments, but it's not funny. No, it's like, it's got real... Humor and the whole um, the whole spoilers for us, the whole killing of um, is it Tim Heidecker or Eric Wareham? I get them confused. I think it's Tim Heidecker. His family um, it's it's played so like goofy. Yeah, it is. I mean, I will say I don't necessarily trust Ari Aster to do horror comedy, but I do trust Jordan Peele. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for obvious reasons. I mean, Jordan Peele has the resume. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, and on that note, we want to thank you so much for coming to our little podcast. Play. Thank you for coming to my show. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Mm. Um, and you, yes, thank you, Faye. Woo. Um, if everyone's nice to Faye, maybe she'll come back. Um, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you can find me if you're interested at Emberg Horror on Twitter. Uh, Kippy, where can we find you? You can find me at guts underscore pink on Instagram and Twitter. Don't mind me. I'm just popping all my nails off. Um, and Faye, where can we find you if they want to find you? Um, well, my Instagram is like my personal account. Oh, I always say at the end of every episode, which you would know if you were a true fan, by the way, Faye. Um, I always say I also have an Instagram, but it's none of your fucking business. Oh, yeah. What she said. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and as always, I mean, our literally our Gmail is so dead. No one emails us but Google. But if you have any recommendations, if you have any questions, you can always email us at thedeadinsidepodcast at gmail.com. Um, I mean, thank you so much for listening. If you're not one of our friends, thanks so much for finding us. And we love you. Bye. Bye.